Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Life of the Mind podcast. I'm Sherry Walsh, Assistant Head of School, and I'm here with David Bowes, Head of the Theology Department at Brookwood. David suggested that we do a podcast about Flannery O'Connor's The Violent Bear It Away, and I was excited to discuss the novel. So David, what brought the novel to your attention and what made you think of it for a podcast? So my wife was reading it for a well-read women's group, and she really liked it. And I had read it uh, about over 10 years ago, and I didn't really like it, but she oh, liked it so much. Interesting. Uh, I decided to give it another shot. And you know, I think um, I keep hearing as I've been carrying it around, different kids say, oh, my mom is reading that. My mom is reading that. So it's the well-read moms, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. But yeah, they yeah. changed it to well-read women oh, uh, so sorry. At, at, a, yeah. at, a, at the local parish. Okay. So women who aren't moms can feel like they can come. So. Right, of course. It <laughs> seems like that so, be the case. Yeah. So she was reading it and... Um, I read it in about a day. We had a snow day on our first day back from Christmas break, and uh, I think I read the whole novel. Yeah. In like that day and maybe the second day, because I think we had two snow days to start off. Oh, uh, very nice. Yeah. January. So yeah. Yeah. And I liked it, and I was like, man, I want to talk to someone about this. And uh, I already talked to my wife about it a lot, and she got to talk to people about it. So then I was like, oh. I should tell Sherry we should do a podcast about it. Yes, so then we can talk to everybody about it. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be interesting to see um, if all the, the well-read um, Catholic women, is that what it is? That uh, yeah. the, the, the group, see if, if members of the group um, end up with comments or uh, or thoughts about, um, about the novel as well. Mm -hmm. I was surprised at how readable it was. Um, mm -hmm. I've read, um, you know, many, many um, Flannery O'Connor short stories. And, um, and long ago, I read Wise Blood. And... Um, I found Wise Blood to be a difficult read, and um, so I was I was I was pleasantly surprised by how gripping this novel is, um, and how I I also had trouble putting it down. I ended up reading it in um, in two main um, sessions um, over time, mm -hmm. but but yeah, I was surprised too at how it moves, um, and that that's something too that we don't see a lot in the Flannery O'Connor short story that um, in the confines of the short story, you get plot, of course, but there isn't this um, sense of scope um, that we have here where the plot really, really moves. So yeah. that's pretty interesting. Um, so thinking about how we would characterize the novel for maybe a listener who hasn't read it, um, in some ways, it's the Bill Dungshirman of um, Tarwater, like his coming of age story. Yeah. Um, and to some degree, it's a meditation on, you know, many um, different spiritual issues that I'm sure we're about to, to touch on. Um, is there another way that you would characterize it? Yeah, I think I think like a coming of age, um, a vocation tale. Yeah. Um, yeah. The pursuit. Yeah. There's a lot of things like. Uh, Oh, it's so like a conversion story. Yeah, in that way, like a, a conversion story, tale, yeah. a vocation tale, coming of age. Uh, yeah, it's got a lot going on, uh, for sure. But yeah. Cool. Um, we can start anywhere. I mean, <laughs> I think that one um, one thing to note is that um, the novel turns to a great degree on dramatic irony, and yeah. I don't know. Do we want to spoil? I think we do. I think, you kind of I think have we to. kind of have to. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the reader is given all the information at the beginning, and if the reader is paying attention properly, mm -hmm. um, then the reader is um, is following Tarwater through his um, through his story, um, understanding at each turn where he thinks he has done X, 
he's actually done why. Um, and so it seems like, and then of course it all comes together at the end and he comes to understand it as well. Um, so in that way, um, I mean, there's that kind of unintended consequences and realization that's characteristic of tragedy, right? Yeah. You do something you think is going to make everything better and it turns out to spin, um, and, you know, in its own, in its own way to carry out fate. And yeah. so, I mean, that seems like a, a way of thinking about it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Tarwater thinks that um, when his great uncle dies, he um, has you know, burned down the house and burned his uncle's body with it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you'd like to talk about the implications of that, um, which doesn't, mm -hmm. which of course doesn't happen, uh, yeah. but it's what Tarwater perceives that he's done. Right, yeah. And that's the great, the very first line kind of tells you yeah. that uh, the, the kind of the opening line um, gives you that insight that Tarwater goes the whole novel not having. Yeah. That uh, he thinks he burned his uncle and his uncle's entire house where he was raised by his uncle. But in fact, um, uh, one of the men who help out at the at his uncle's farm had finished the job Tarwater was supposed to in giving him a proper Christian burial, complete with the, the wooden cross. But yeah, the signification of burning the body is a repudiation of the doctrine of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So it's a repu which becomes a repudiation of the Christian faith, right? It's kind of like Tarwater rejecting what his uncle or Tarwater's attempt to reject what his uncle had given him. And his uncle is a prophet and his uncle is raising Tarwater to be a prophet, um, which also I love how his uncle, I love his uncle so much, but just, <laughs> How, you know, Tarwater basically has like, you're, you're nothing. You're like the worst prophet ever. You don't do anything. And the uncle is just, I'm, I'm content with what the Lord has told me to do. I think there's one line where Tarwater's like critiquing his uncle and his uncle said, I do what the Lord tells me. Like, mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to pretend to be this grand. I tried being a grandiose prophet and I was humbled by mm -hmm. my, my, by my, you know, and so he just has this nope, My vocation is to baptize you. That was my job. And I did that and I'm seeing to it that you understand that your vocation is just to do what the Lord says, no matter how big, no matter how small. And uh, and Tarwater just has this disgust at his uncle's um, Christian faith. And so that's kind of like he want, he rejects this, this he doesn't want to be the prophet, right? And so this right. burning of the body and burning of the house he grew up in is kind of like this. Right. And certainly he, um, his, um, something that he says over and over again is I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Oh, of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have that sense that he is, he's not going to do, um, what God has told him. He's going to do what he wants to mm -hmm. do. And, um, and so you get that, you know, throughout, throughout the novel. In fact, um, Tarwater has this, um, voice that he right. hears the voice of the stranger. Um, mm -hmm who tells him a number of things that are not helpful. <laughs> um, and, but one thing that the, that the voice tells him that I think actually um, is right is not that, is that Tarwater has to decide. Um, and it's not a decision. It's not Jesus or the devil. It's Jesus or you. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, I mean, even though this is the voice of the devil saying it, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like that's pretty on target to um, kind of modern secularist thinking and um, and pretty and pretty much the modern question. 
yeah. right? The, yeah. the dilemma that people see. Um, it's interesting too, critics talk about um, the, the um, great uncle on one side mm -hmm. as the, um, you know, the, the madman. Right. And on the other side, the, um, the uncle Raber um, as the, um, as you know, the, the hyper rational and mm -hmm. that the truth, according to these critics, again, serious people writing things is right. like somewhere in the middle. And that seems not right. Yeah, given, <laughs> given what we know about Flannery O'Connor and given how this book goes, I mean, yeah. that's really, I mean, it's an interesting, um, I mean, you, you can think about it in terms of like, you know, the golden mean or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's not, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not a golden mean kind of question. It's not an emotion or intellect kind of question. Mm -hmm. um, it's Jesus or you. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I think a lot of times we are put, a lot of modern readers are put off by the uncle because he is this very kind of. Yeah, I'm going to make he, you say great uncle now. because Okay, great to, uncle, right. Sorry, yeah, that's true. Uncle. That's a good point. The great uncle, sorry, his great uncle is the one who raises him. So the great uncle is, he's yeah, he's this very kind of not what you expect a man of God to look like. Right. Which, of course, is what O'Connor always does. Right. And you kind of think of him as this, you know, fundamentalist, Bible thumper, not educated. And mm -hmm. so um, a lot of people, I think, see him and are like, what? He ruined the boy. Or, and, but O'Connor has a great line in um, a letter she wrote where she says, um, they forget that the old man has taught him the truth and that now he's doing what is right, however crazy. People who are depressed by the ending um, believe that it would have been better if the school teacher, had, which we'll talk about, had civilized Tarwater and sent him to college where he could have got an engineering degree or some such. A good many Catholics are put off because they think the old man, being a Protestant prophet, so to speak, has no hold on the truth. And, her, oh. and so she's critiquing like yeah. this kind of idea that the old man wasn't right. And right. she has another line. No, but she uses um, Protestants like that all the time because um, the yeah. the idea, I mean, she says somewhere else in another letter that um, the, the Catholic who has this kind of, you know, fiery love for God mm -hmm. often becomes a monk or a nun and, you know, it disappears forever. Uh, whereas in the Protestant world, all you've got is the world to go out with, um, with the, you know, with oh, yeah. with the gospel in this particular way, and so um, there's so she uses Protestants in that way all the time as sort of um, vessels of the truth. Yeah, well, and then she has another letter about the great uncle, where um, she says, um, "Old Tarwater is not typical of the Southern Baptist or the Southern Methodist. Essentially, he's a crypto Catholic." When you leave a man alone with his Bible and the Holy Ghost inspires him, he's going to be Catholic one way or another, even though he knows nothing about the visible church. His kind of Christianity may not be socially desirable, but it will be real in the sight of God. And I just love that. Like, yeah. Because yeah. like Tarwater, yeah, he just, he does have this humility to him, which people I think say, oh, he's a prophet. He's one of those crazy, you know, mm -hmm. preachers on the side of the road. So right. I think he basically addresses this critique and is like, no, I'm just doing what God tells me to do. Right. And yeah, I'm not impressive, mm -hmm. but it's the will of God that I'm seeking. Right. He's not a very impressive man. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's Tarwater's objection to his own vocation in the beginning, right? It's like, I have to baptize Bishop. That's all I have to do. Like, mm -hmm. where's my, you know, where's, where's my grand mission? Yeah. Um, and so that, um, that seems to be um, important too, like the, the humility. Of course, Tarwater suffers from pride all the way. I mean, oh, if it's yeah. Jesus or you, I mean, you're choosing you, you're choosing pride. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, I mean, you have him disappointed um, and 
the the way that he treats Bishop as well is is important. So we need to talk mm -hmm. about who these characters yes, are a little bit. Yeah. So the um, so Tarwater also has an uncle um, who is uh, Raber. He is um, a school teacher, hyper intellectual, um, and has a hearing aid, which plays really interestingly into the plot and into um, his characterization, the sort of um, symbolic level of the novel as well. Um, he's when he plugs in his hearing aid, of course, he can hear. Uh, but there's this sense that Tarwater has that. Um, and at one point, Tarwater asks him, do you think with your head or do you think with that box? Yeah. You know? yeah. And you get that <laughs> um, that that idea of um, of Raber as being kind of mechanized. Mm. Um, again, modern sort of the, the modern sensibility um, again. And he's also I mean, he's an atheist. He's um, very um sort of social science oriented as a school teacher mm -hmm. um they say his special uh, his specialty is um is testing and yes. his um, professional promotions have happened you know without his involvement uh that it's all just kind of mechanical mm -hmm. uh, so he exists and he has a son um who is um intellectually disabled and um, the the way that the um, the son who is I mean maybe you want to talk about who Bishop is and what he's doing in the novel. So um, Bishop is yeah he's the he's the son of the uncle Raber, and old Tarwater the great uncle the prophet wants to baptize him, but is like frustrated at his work like right. he's not able to do it. Raber won't let him, and so he's kind of raised. Uh, young Tarwater to have this mission to baptize Bishop and Bishop kind of, I'm not exactly sure the literary thing, but he, he essentially is just a, a kind of a, a he, he provokes a lot of uh, intense reactions from yeah. Tarwater. Like, uh, he, like Tarwater, like he, he has a face that reminds Tarwater of the old man, yeah. the prophet. He, just kind of follows tar water around and drives right. him insane. <laughs> yeah. And there's a kind of purity to Bishop. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting too, when they encounter the fountain mm -hmm. in the public park where, um, you know, Bishop makes straight for it because mm -hmm. it's very appealing and that makes sense um, for him as a child. Uh, but it also makes sense you know, symbolically that he's, um, he's heading toward uh, presumably his baptism. Mm -hmm. um, and you have, you know, tar water, um, going toward the fountain kind of despite himself. Mm -hmm. And then you have Raber running to the fountain in order to get Bishop out of there, um, in order to keep him safe, um, but to, you know, really to keep- to prevent baptism. Right, to prevent yeah. baptism. Yeah. So you have you have that, and also the fountain as a kind of um, spring. As, mm -hmm. as, so you get the, the sense of it as um, a, a locus of baptism, but also kind of a conduit to deeper things. Yeah. Um, in that way as well, something kind of primal or primeval. And also the sign, right, of the water flowing from the rock. Oh, right, yeah. right, that tar water wanted a sign. Right, yeah. And, and he gets a sign. Because he's never seen a fountain before. So right. I think it's, it's the stranger, it's either the stranger or raver who like make fun of him for thinking that the fountain was a sign. Yeah. Like basically saying like, hey, you're, you're an idiot, it's a fountain. Right, <laughs> But at right. the same time, yeah, there it is. Kind of a sign. Right, exactly. Exactly what he was looking for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you have that um, as something that sort of um, operates, again, on um, in a very realistic way, 
but then also with a lot of, um, of other significance. So this whole sort of idea about the task of baptizing mm -hmm. Bishop is, um, is one that runs through. And um, my AP literature students read um, How to Read Literature Like a Professor by Thomas Foster, mm -hmm. which is every bit as goofy as it sounds. It's a delightful <laughs> book, but it's, it's very much about sort of archetypal theory. Okay. And, uh, and so it, um, there's a chapter in that book that says something um, about, um, you know, if you it's about it's about water and mm -hmm. if you if you don't come back you drown and if you come back it's baptism hmm. um and the uh, and so you have um you oh, have both right? yeah so you get both yeah. well I'm, I'm thinking of the o'connor short story the river ah right where she's defying this professor's ideas right uh -huh. in many ways because in, in the river the ending is the river takes the i think it's an infant or the child Mm -hmm. But O'Connor's basically saying the child was baptized and through the river pouring, the child is brought to God. So mm -hmm. The child yeah. doesn't come back, but... Right, right. And so <laughs> inform my reading of As I Lay Dying in, in about a month. Um, so that's that's fun too. Yeah. But um, but thinking about the... Um, yeah, so thinking about the, um, the various um, water scenes mm -hmm. and, uh, and their connection to... I mean, obviously... Um, baptism in a kind of symbolic way. I mean, I guess um, a kind of death and rebirth mm -hmm. archetypally, and um, and then of course what happens with Bishop um, when it seems like Tarwater plans to carry out what Raber wanted. Mm -hmm. So way back at the beginning, mm -hmm. he you know he thinks he's burned the the body of the old man, um, which is what Raber would have done. He yep. thinks, yeah, I did it for you. I tended to it for you. Mm -hmm. And then later, um, Raber confesses to Tarwater that he once tried to drown um, Bishop, but couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so then when they're finally in the scene where it seems clear that baptism is going to occur, um, what happens, and we see it from Raber's point of view far away, uh, we can we understand that what's happened is that Tarwater has in fact drowned yeah. uh, Bishop, and so, so, go so ahead. that's it. So Megan thought the same thing that he was going to baptize him, and I was like, he's definitely killing this kid. <laughs> 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 like, I was like, as I just knew it wasn't baptism. Uh -huh. um, well, it is. It is, it baptism, is right. But that's yes. kind of the, the remarkable thing. But for me, right. the way it's set up, I was like, oh, he's 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 because it, there's one line where he's like, oh, be careful and. Tarwater looks back with his hand on the child and uh, on Bishop and says, I'll take care of him or like something. Yeah. Like that. Like, oh man, he's killing this kid. <laughs> he is, he is for sure mm -hmm. going to drown this child. Um, which if you didn't know, Flannery O'Connor is, um, uses violence quite a bit in her writing, which the podcast listeners should know. Like, yeah, <laughs> she is no, uh, Jane Austen. pleasantries, <laughs> 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 but, um, Right. Well, I mean, the idea. I mean, she says in the letters too yeah. that um, that in her um, in her age, mm -hmm. uh, where she feels that people um, don't have any kind of conversance with the truth, she has to make sort of cartoonish figures. She has right. to make things larger than life mm -hmm. in order to get um, her message across. I mean, of course, that's not all she's doing getting right. a message across. But um, but for that aspect of it, it mm -hmm. seems like um, that she feels that she has to uh, to go big. And yeah. so you get um, kind of the comic grotesque, the mm -hmm. idea of these um, kind of distorted um, characters, again, like Raber as a, as a good example of a grotesque, mm -hmm. somebody who has, you know, and as Sherwood Anderson says, he's taken a single idea to himself and, mm -hmm. uh, and lived his life by it. It's the wrong idea. Mm -hmm. um, like any 
I mean, according to Anderson, any idea is like that. I mean, I can think of one exception, but, um, but it seems that there's, there's this problem. Um, and then you have, I mean, you could, you could read the old man as a kind of grotesque, uh, but he also seems to be operating primarily out of humility and, um, and like in reference to truth. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people want the old man to kind of be a bad guy because yeah. there's this unattractiveness to him, mm -hmm. you know, like he's just. He's almost like he just has too simple of a faith. He almost has too simple of like a, what my purpose is in life. You know, he's not, I guess he's not really that complicated of a, of a guy in the sense that he's like, I'm going to try and, and follow Jesus and I'm a sinner, but I'm going to do the best I can. And here I am. And it's almost like, well, that's not what a sophisticated follower of Christ should be. You know, right. it's almost like he's just, and I think that's where you get the whole, like, cause I was, I was doing some reading about how people are saying like old tar water is not like it has his problems and Raver has his problems. And the truth is somewhere in the middle, like the, like old tar water's all faith, Raver's all reason right. bring them together. But uh, I think that's just what we want kind of like a lot of like we want because Old Tarwater's faith is just, I think, too simple for mm -hmm. like um, a lot of people. I don't know when um, your articles were from. Mm -hmm. I thought of two different reasons that we might be getting that reading over and over. One is the old 1960s Apollonian Dionysian. Again, like that mm -hmm. that um, ideas split into intellectual and emotional, mm -hmm. and that the um, that the answer, that the truth, that the mm -hmm. right answer is um, a kind of tension between mm -hmm. the Apollonian and the Dionysian, that um, that idea of arete or yeah. excellence. So that's a um, like a, a pretty common 1960s sort of archetypally mm -hmm. inflected reading. Um, and then, I mean, there's deconstruction, which mm -hmm. is about um, taking, um, you know, binary oppositions and, um, and demonstrating how they don't hold. I mean, yeah. deconstruction does a lot more than that, but, um, but that's a fundamental way of talking about it. Um, so it seems like there's a kind of push in our ways of reading to read it like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems clear from what we know about O'Connor and what she's up to that yeah. the project is different. Yeah. That it's um, that the old man um, as uh, maybe unappealing character but a prophet who's really a prophet. I mean, everything yeah. that he says happens over the yeah. course of the novel. Um, and you have Raber as kind of this monster, yeah. um, this, you know, plug in kind of thinking with the, um, the, the symbolic hearing aid. Yeah. Um, and, and then his sort of his, his profession <laughs> uh, and his, we're not the kind of school teacher, uh, and his, um, his way of, of operating in the world. Um, and also he talks a little bit about being a reaction against the old man, right? So he, yeah. he was kidnapped when he was seven mm -hmm. uh, for like a week. Yeah, and um, yeah, and during that time, uh, the old man works to um, inculcate the ideas. I believe also he baptizes him, right? Yes. So he, um, so he plants the seeds and um and works to teach him to inculcate his ideas and then he gets away and it seems like everything else is a reaction against that uh, mm -hmm. so if the yeah. old man is um is fiery and in touch with um you know ideas of love mm -hmm. uh, then uh raber is going to be hyper intellectual um to the point of being kind of a mechanical figure himself mm -hmm. 
Um, and there's a description of how, you know, he sleeps in a narrow bed. He eats only what he needs. He's, you know, just the, the way that he lives his life. Right. Um, and then, of course, um, we find out that that doesn't work 100% of the time because there's his um, his child, right? right. And yeah. so he's um, he is made to feel um, love or he feels love oh, for yeah. his child, um, which in part is what inspires him to kill his child right yeah he talks about how he doesn't like the love he feels for his child yeah he sees it as like a problem right yeah yeah right and like a, a kind of emblem of um of the old man in ways mm -hmm. and that he doesn't want to have anything to do with yeah. um with the old man yeah. so his um his reaction then um against that I mean, it makes him clearly the villain. It's not like, yeah. oh, here's, you know, here's right. an idea. It's, you know, it's, I mean, it seems clear that he's, that he is the villain of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of them, I would say. Yeah. Well, yes. You want to talk <laughs> about the other villain? Talk about uh, well, the other villain. Well, or maybe, I, like, I don't know if you do Meeks as well. One more thing in defense of, of old Tarwater in that I think, yeah, I think we want to like oversimplify him as this kind of, not we, but like, you know, scholars or people who are reading it who, kind of find his faith unappealing for whatever reason. Like they want to kind of put him in a box as like overly emotional, but you're reading me. He's actually not that emotional at all. He's actually pretty stoic in a lot of ways. And like how mm. he deals with it. He's mm -hmm. like, this is the truth. This is what we do. And he's like very, right. just, you know, I mean, yes, he's not like, he's not reading like the fanciest articles and right. all stuff, but he and his is, knowledge is visionary mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, yeah. intellectual. Yeah. But he, he is not, he doesn't just go by his emotions. He goes right. by this kind of desire and longing for authentic truth. It's just in his, like in the way he finds it is not through like fides et ratio, you know, faith and reason or reading the latest philosophers or public thinkers it's in just studying the scriptures mm -hmm. you know and, and that's where he draws his faith from that is at the same time not just over sentimentalized right you know, which is which is of course what Flannery O'Connor militates against I'm sorry if that's yeah. what you were about to say no yeah 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 but um but her idea about faith as a you know as a blanket mm -hmm. you know and how that's so unsatisfactory yeah. um and I, mean, I forget what it is it's like people people think that faith is um is an electric blanket but it's really the cross yeah yeah it's yeah. i mean and that so that that idea of um what she is working against also what she's working against at the mid-century mm -hmm. um the way that she feels about um sort of the dominant strains of um of religion and of catholicism um at mid-century and how she's um she finds it insubstantial mm -hmm. and um and kind of just off like yeah. it's or uh, like a social club right i mean like a too yeah. light too yeah. too superficial yeah one of my favorite lines from her it's in one of her short stories where i think it's greenleaf but i'm not i can't remember if it's greenleaf she's describing one of the characters and she, says, she was a good christian woman she was in the pews every sunday but of course she didn't believe a word right or like something like that like yeah. describing kind of mm -hmm. you know um yeah people who like put on airs of Christianity, but don't actually believe it. Right. And like that's, yeah, because it's a comfort to them. It's right. Like an emotional security blanket instead right. of like, you know. The way to what, live. What Tarwater right. believes. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Well, I mean, what old man Tarwater. Tar old, yeah. old man Tarwater, yeah. Old man Right. And thinking about how, um, yeah, how toward the end we begin to see mm -hmm. um, Tarwater accept his vocation. Yeah. But we want to talk about some villains. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to talk about, um, you want to talk about the stranger? Yeah. So the stranger is, um, like 
the stranger actually, well, he shows up right after the death of the uncle. So it's like right. the uncle was in a sense like protecting him from the influence of Satan in like, you know, by being this prophet. He dies. As Tarwater is digging the hole is when the stranger appears and starts talking to him. And he appears throughout the novel. Um, and then at one point he switches and it becomes like uh, identified as Tarwater's friend. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's actually at the scene on the lake mm-hmm. um, where Tarwater, which I guess we, we kind of skipped over this. So Tarwater does um, drown his cousin Bishop. And, but what's startling is the way the drowning is described. Uh, I think we should revisit this before we go on is um, he, Raber hears like three screams. Yeah. And so I knew he was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I hope he baptizes him. And so obviously it's terrible that he, he killed right. him. But you see this like war within him. But the three screams I immediately knew, mm-hmm. like he, the triple immersion of baptism. Right. Son, okay. Spirit. So I was like, oh my gosh, he baptized the kid and then killed him. And I'm just like, you're just struck with horror at this point, And you just, okay, right. what the heck is happening next? And you just can't put it to death. You just got to keep reading. But, um, the friend is there, or the stranger, the devil, is there kind of just really encouraging him to go through with this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you wanted to add more on, on this Well, stranger. I mean, that the, um, that the stranger, um, I mean, I think that in the beginning, as a reader, I'm wondering, okay, is this um, something related to um, old tar water? Is this the kind of ghostly presence of old tar water? Is mm. this like, what? what is this? Um, as, um, as, I, as I'm reading along pretty fast, I dismiss that idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's taking me, uh, it takes me quite a while to get to the point where, um, where I realize that the stranger is the devil, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and sort of how, how that operates. Um, but I mean, I think that we have, so we have the stranger going through the text. Um, we've got Meeks who is a, a character who um, shows up and drives Tarwater a distance. And mm. then at the end of the novel, uh, we have, an, um, well, we have the trucker uh, <laughs> who, who picks up Tarwater, but at the, you know, toward the end, we have um, another driver who picks up Tarwater. And I think you were interested in him that, toward the yeah. end. Yeah, so the, the, the stranger, the devil is described, he actually appears and, and it's no longer a voice. Mm-hmm. And he has lavender eyes. And uh, and so you're just like, well, that's an interesting tidbit. So then as um, Tarwater goes back or is traveling, he gets picked up by a lavender car uh, with like cream colored seats and a man wearing a lavender suit. Mm-hmm. And so you're just like, okay, O'Connor's no dummy. Like this is important. I don't know why it's important, but this is important. What like and so I'm like because what is you all? described so closely, or because you get the lavender right after the purple eyes. Right. Well, I think it's lavender eyes. I don't think it's purple eyes. I think yeah. it's described as lavender mm-hmm. eyes. And so it's lavender. I think. I think at least. So yeah, you just like O'Connor doesn't throw in colors. I mean, sometimes right. she does, right, with the black hat with the misfit. Right. <laughs> Where she someone this is actually really funny. Someone wrote her a letter saying, "What's the significance of the w- misfit wearing a black hat?" And she responded, he was cold. <laughs> Lady, all you do is write symbols. Like, come on. Right, right. I mean, and I too was, was thinking about the hats, actually. Tarwater's hat from when he's little that he loses off the building. And then oh, um, yeah. and then his hat later that is so annoying to Raber. Hmm. Just thinking about, like, like, I guess phases of his identity. Um, hmm. I don't know. I, I never decided really what I thought about it. Okay. Uh, but that is a, a piece of it. But um, 
maybe maybe tar water was cold um, but uh, and only had one hat right yeah. what's he gonna do um but yeah so you have so you have the um the person in the um you know with the the purple um description um what do you make of him well he is definitely up to no good right he he drugs a tar water and then abandons him um, right after unspeakable acts and um Tarwater. So he's obviously a, a, a villain character. Like he's not a good guy. Um, he has no good intentions. He's, right. I mean, he's evil. He's evil. Yeah. Like very clearly evil. Although it is like you know, yeah, it is like this punishment that Tarwater has, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and it, Tarwater has brought it upon himself, which is like an important thing with sin. Is like we punish ourselves by our sins, mm -hmm. and and which I think O'Connor's operating on here. She's not saying. She's saying like. She's not, you know, making any claims, but she's saying, like, Tarwater has this awakening after the evil is done to him of, like, you're not really sure what, but he just goes on, like, he starts burning everything. Right. right? So he starts lighting everything on fire. You know, right. You, you well, see it's this. purification. So as he, as he starts to burn the, um, everything that the, the man might have touched, mm -hmm. um, He's, I mean, he's, it seems like he's clearly burning away everything that's interfering with um, him. And at this point, I think we can say his vocation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, he, so the man, there are some lines that are like very key where the, the man is basically meant to make you think of the stranger or Satan. Right. And, and kind of, he is this kind of incarnation of Satan or this like kind of participation of Satan, like an image of Satan. Um, and so that's what tar water is kind of is burning is like this evil that is associated with him. It's been made manifest, right? And yeah. the trauma of what's happened to him has jolted him into, um, if not understanding, at least a kind of reaction against mm -hmm. it. And so there's the sense that um, that he has a has a greater understanding of um, the dangers of evil, mm -hmm. of the unintended consequences. Um, I keep thinking about the corkscrew bottle opener that's given to him by Raber. Mm -hmm. um, the it's talked about as sort of a strange gift and sort of the idea that you know it can open a lot of things. Like it's a <laughs> it's a practical gift. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it seems like what it opens is I mean, well, it opens. Um, the the spiked whiskey mm -hmm. that um you know that drugs him but it also it seems to open you know all of this um all of this possibility of evil that wasn't um something that tarwater really confronted until that incident mm -hmm. yeah and so he um so he burns he burns the area around, and um, while we were off, um, Mike, you were talking, David, about uh, how he burns the tree from which he can see the house. Yeah, and it's at that point. Um, so he's he's burning things, and then Satan appears and basically says he'll never leave um, Tarwater, which actually is right. The conclusion of choosing yourself over God is, yeah, you're not alone. It's not just you. Uh, you now have Satan as a companion. And Tarwater like shakes and says he sh like shakes himself free mm -hmm. of this violet presence. Yeah, yeah. the violet, the purple. So the Satan has purple eyes, 
and the man has lavender eyes. So I was wrong, or violet eyes and lavender eyes. So I was wrong about that. They weren't both the same color, but it was like a shade of violet. Right. I mean, they're yeah. associated with each other. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's, yeah. I don't think there's confusion about that, um, that this, this color right. is associated um, with, you know, with this evil that mm -hmm. happens and, yeah. uh, and with the stranger in general. Yeah. Um, and so the um he burns the the tree yeah. from which he can see his claim right mm -hmm. and to me that's associated with uh, the temptation of christ the idea yeah. of um the claim i imagine yeah. you're probably better qualified to talk about that than i am well i think you have right so it's it's only when the tree is burning and he sees the tree burning that he also sees you know his adversary so now mm -hmm. i think satan is referred to as his adversary yeah which which and he is a, a consumed in the flame. So he's finally in, in lighting the tree on fire. Um, it, he's, and yeah, I guess re renouncing his claim on the land mm -hmm. um, because in a sense, right. like the land is a, an obstacle to his mission, is an obstacle to his vocation. The ownership? The like ownership. he's being, the attachment. Yeah, I think so, yeah, the attachment to the land. Is yeah. An because it talks about how in the smoke, his eyes are purified, like the, the right. prophet Isaiah's uh, tongue was purified before he right. went on mission. Right. And so in, in looking through the, the burning tree, um, he can now see clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, he can see what he couldn't see before. Right. And, that was, yeah, his and right, as his physical eyes are um, are harmed to some degree, mm -hmm. his, um, his inner eyes are... Um, are working yeah. in a way that, and again, we think about like the um, Raber with his deafness too. I mean, mm -hmm. like what he can hear, what he can't hear, how that works and like what is external and what's internal. Um, when you have with tar water, um, this idea that as, um, as he doesn't see as well physically, he sees well internally, mm -hmm. you have him then going to discover what's happened to the body of the old man and um what his neighbor has done for him and um and then also he has that encounter with the earth there too where he smears the little bit of um, of dirt on his forehead um which to me seems to be about humility like he's given up that pride so staking a claim is pride being attached to that as pride, mm -hmm. and um, and then like actually having an encounter with with the dirt, um, is it, sort of Ash Wednesday kind yeah. of encounter with um, with his actual place in the universe, yeah. uh, which seems to be important. So you have that, and then you have his final vision. Right. Yeah. The vision of so the bread of life kind of and hunger plays a big role in the in the novel, and he's constantly hungry, and and so then. Um, what he's hungry for. He, there's a line where he's like, Oh, I'll go home with Buford and eat. Yeah. Um, and then he like, he can't like his pain, like thinking of food and hunger just makes him more pain. And then he has a vision of the feeding of the multitudes. And then, you know, the basket of the loaves is passed around and there's his great uncle, old tar water, you know, leaning down to get what old tar water hungered for. Cause you know, old tar water talks about it's the bread of life. It's the bread of life. I'm working for the bread of life. And mm -hmm. then he, find, he, he gets to see his, his great uncle, was a true prophet and right. has received his reward. Yeah. And you know, that actually quenches, um, what he's, he, what he's actually, what he's actually for. hungry for. Yeah. And, and then he hears the voice of God, um, mm -hmm. kind of, um, send him on his mission. Right. Right. Yeah. So you have him, um, again, with this kind of hunger 
that um, that he tries to take care of in different ways. He gets sick. He tries to um, mm -hmm. to um, to assuage his hunger, and um, and then ultimately, um, and he also makes fun of the loaves and fishes, like yeah. early in the um, in the text. Um, and by the end, he's like, "Why would I want it? You know, why would I want that?" Yeah. And by the end, it seems clear that um, that it's not boring to be in you know in heaven. Um, eating the multiplied loaves. It's um, it's about um, the way that it's talked about. He's part of the multitude, so it's about belonging, something that he's lacked throughout the novel, mm -hmm. and it's um, and it's about you know partaking of the bread of life mm -hmm. um, in a way that um, it is the only thing that's going to nourish him. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we touched on? Uh, I think that's yeah. That, I think that's yeah. Just how Tarwater's experience, like. O'Connor talks a lot about how um, the importance of grace and how a lot of times it's after we reflect on our sinfulness that we can experience grace. And I think this novel does a great job of depicting that where you have Tarwater who has this all like commits sin after sin after sin, like murdered a, a child. Right. But then um, in the midst of all these sins that he keeps on kind of piling and piling and piling up, it's finally like when he's able to confront the evil he's done um, as evil mm -hmm. uh, that he's able to like be purified of the evil, right. like, be cleansed, you know, and find forgiveness and then, you know, become who he was meant to be. So it gets to a point where he's able to identify it. Mm -hmm. It has to be, again, like um, the idea of the way that O'Connor uses violence in her novels mm -hmm. uh, the or in her writing in general, um, that it has to be large enough that you can see it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's what happens with Tarwater as well. Like it has to, like it's the it's the trauma that um, that causes him to see and understand mm -hmm. um, the importance of this and, uh, and how far uh, and sort of what the implications are of this choice. You have finally the message that's given to tarwater at the end that go warn the children of god of the terrible speed of mercy mm -hmm. um and how that is more or less um i mean the very last line of the story is um his singed eyes black in their deep sockets seemed already to envision the fate that awaited him but he moved steadily on his face set toward the dark city where the children of God lay sleeping. Yeah. But, so what's the sequel? Well, what does Tarwater yeah. do next? Well, I like was warned, warned yeah. the children of God because the terrible speed of God's mercy, because there is a sense in which the mercy and justice of God, you know, they're not really distinct. And how God's mercy might surprise us and how we mm -hmm. experience it. And, you know, it's almost like his job is to, show the people you know of the city that god's mercy is coming and be prepared right uh, right yeah. and the city is always in contrast to the country in mm -hmm. this novel where you have the city as like the secular mm -hmm. um mechanistic place mm -hmm. and so he needs to go there and warn those people yeah um, to wake them up out of yeah, their sleep exactly. so that they can experience you know the conversion right, right and so they can actually experience mercy yeah because are you ready for the mercy of God. Well, right. And O'Connor, there's always the chance that, you know, the mercy, that the grace of God is going to hit you on the head, like a book, right. Mm -hmm. the, as in revelation or, oh, yeah. uh, in all the, in all the other ways that it happens mm -hmm. in O'Connor. Um, 
Yeah. So I feel like we've talked about a lot of things. I feel like there's so much more in this novel to talk about. And I'll be interested to find out um, what people think mm -hmm. about, you know, what important aspects um, they would want to include in right. a conversation. Because I mean, there's so much, there's so much there. Um, but thank you so much, David, for talking to me about this. And oh, my pleasure. Um, yeah. And um, it's, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book and I look forward to what's next. Thank you for listening to the Brookwood Life of the Mind podcast. Uh, I'm Sherry Walsh. I'm here with David Bowes. Our producer is Quentin Walsh. Our theme music is by Fabian Tell and views expressed are the participants own. Oh.